the Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! <laughs> I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, oh, that's a very good question. Uh, hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky team. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. It's time now for Armchair Politics. Join host Tom Sumner for this weekly reality check on current events in local, state, and national politics and the real issues that really matter. You, too, can be part of Armchair Politics. Find us on Facebook. We let the dogs off their leash. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program. Joining me morning. For, joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, our <coughs> panel of political pundits includes I've got some scratchy noise here that's distracting a little bit. But uh, our panel of political pundits includes on the left Flint's premier political pundit Paul Rosicki. Good morning, Paul. Welcome. Good morning, good to be here. And on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. Good morning to you, Henry. Good morning. <laughs> And joining us for this week's uh, edition of the uh, the roundtable known as Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program, legislative liaison for Convention of States Project, and author Wesley Whitaker. Good morning, Wes. Good morning, Tom. <laughs> Good morning, Wes. Good morning, Wes. Good morning, Paul. Good morning, Henry. And Good to be with you guys. And as always the case, uh, we we kick it off with uh, a few quotes. We start with the uh, finish the quote where I ask you, how would you finish this quote? And it goes, if you have always believed that everyone should play by the same rules and be judged by the same standards, that would have gotten you labeled a radical 60 years ago, a liberal 30 years ago, and what today? Hmm. Probably a, a conservative. If you follow the logic, probably conservative. I'm going to guess, or moderate. Well, the the original quote goes like this: If you, if you have always believed that everyone should play by the same rules, be judged by the same standards, that would have gotten you labeled a radical 60 years ago, a liberal 30 years ago, and a racist today. Oh yes, yes. I read that. You know who might have said that. Yeah, I'm just trying to think where I, yeah. Yeah, I read that. It was Thomas Sowell. Yes. Hmm. Hmm. I, I just got his publication from Impress, and I read that on Thomas Sowell. You know, yeah. Well, here's here's a quote that got my uh, 
got my attention this week. Joe Biden misspeaks every single day and the media pays no attention to it. Isn't it ironic how I'm under attack for an honest mistake? Who makes an honest mistake? Hmm. I see. It See, wouldn't be for former President Bush. I mean, former President Trump put it. No. Hmm. Oh, um, the uh, talk show guy who just guy who just settled a lawsuit. Um, no, 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 no. It, no? I, I know who you're thinking of, but it was Jones. actually. Uh, yeah, Alex Jones. It was actually Michigan uh, Representative Lisa McLean, a oh. freshman Republican member of Congress. She made a series of false claims in a short speech at former President Donald Trump's rally outside Detroit recently, notably including an assertion that Trump, who has endorsed her for re-election, was the president who caught terrorist Osama bin Laden. She didn't specify, hmm. however, which of the claims she was calling an honest mistake. <laughs> yeah. Are there any rules in public speaking about what can be claimed for the sake of rhetoric? Oh, I'm not so sure there are anymore. Well, in politics, apparently there isn't. Yeah. If no. If you're speaking for, before a civic organization... It's wise to stick to your facts. If you're in politics, you can pretty much say anything. Yeah, oh. that's true. That's true. Any kind of exaggeration can go a long way. Reminds me of that joke I tell from time to time about the, the two uh, politicians that are having an argument. One says to the other, are you lying to me? He goes, yeah, but hear me out. <laughs> <laughs> Just a good lie. <laughs> yeah. i got a lot of details. <laughs> but let me finish. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, here's here's one that's uh, kind of interesting. Um, so long as the committee for presidential debates appears intent on stonewalling the meaningful reforms necessary to restore its credibility within the Republican Party as a fair and nonpartisan actor, the RNC will take every step to ensure that future Republican presidential nominees are given that opportunity elsewhere. Was the chairman of the RNC. Yeah, that was, yeah, uh, yeah, that was the chairman. That's who it was. Ronna McDaniel yeah. called the Commission on Presidential Debates, which is nonpartisan and has a co-chair who was once the chairman of the RNC, biased in a statement and said it had refused <laughs> to enact simple and common-sense reforms to help ensure fair debates, including hosting debates before voting begins and selecting moderators who have never worked for candidates on the debate stage. The uh, RNC's decision Thursday to withdraw from its participation in the organization that has long managed presidential debates has Donald Trump's fingerprints all over it. Can the CPD bypass the party organizations and attract candidates individually? Um, and do you think well, I think the person that wrote, 
I was going to say it's going to be awfully tempting for candidates, particularly those who are not the front runners, to 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 get on the stage in some way. So it'll be, it'll be hard, I think, for some for some candidates to say no, even though the RNC may be against it. Uh, and but, particularly but if you have a lot, that, lot of folks running. The person that wrote that statement it, within the statement itself reveals what it is that they're protesting because there is this bias and, and there has been for several of the presidential debates in recent history there was a story out that came out last week about you know why can't the presidential debates have the other parties represented like the libertarian and the green party and all that and they don't want that to happen because they're afraid that common sense will prevail God forbid we have common sense. You know, that's a good point, Wes. And I think in, in in some years past, there were occasions where they did invite at least some third and fourth parties yeah. around, and I think that was a, a good idea. Uh, I can recall one time, I think it was Channel 12 here, this goes back some years, they allowed every minor party I, some airtime. Now, some of it wasn't prime time, but they gave every minor party some airtime to, to say their piece. Um but there's something wrong with that. Um, <clears throat> do you understand the logistics of computing who won the election? If one party, the dominant person, has to get 50% of the vote before he's considered a winner, that would take endless number of rotations through that process. Where does you it say he has to have 50%? Pardon? Where does it say he has to have 50% of the vote? Uh, in most elections, they do. No, I think that has something to do with uh, ranked choice voting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but and for the primaries, again, you, all you get is most votes to, to be a winner. And <clears throat> you've seen in, in a number of recent primary elections where the the winning candidates never got anywhere close to 50%. I think that was true for Trump in 16. He didn't hit 50% until the very end, I believe. And I think for perhaps even Rick Snyder, when he ran, there were a number of other candidates, and I'm not sure he hit 50% until a bit later. So um, I think we I think we lost Henry. Um, Henry, are you there? Maybe he'll. No, oh, I heard some static. Yeah, I heard, I heard a hang up. I don't know what happened. Yeah, I, I, I think but this we is got this is one of the this illustrates why the framers did not include political parties in the Constitution. Because they knew from their own experience that when you inject political parties into the process, you don't get the real will of the people. You get the real will of the power brokers. Yeah, you're right. Uh, the, yeah, the, the, the one thing you don't, or at least one of many things you don't find in the Constitution is any mention of political parties. The founders hoped there wouldn't be any. Now, they were wrong almost before the ink was dry in the Constitution, but yeah. their hope was there wouldn't be any. At least not have any influence in how the government operates. Yeah, yeah. They're like the power brokers now, and they don't—they don't want. And this includes the Republican Party. I mean, I've dealt with the Republican leadership for the last fifty years, but they're no different. They don't want these other parties coming in and and presenting something that's possibly common sense 
solution. Yeah, to no, the problem I, 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 I find I find all those third parties very fascinating. Even the ones that I don't agree with are fascinating. I think we got Henry back. There we are. I'm sorry, guys. Uh, the process dropped me out, and I was talking oh, to myself for a long time. <laughs> I, I thought it was some Russian hackers, Henry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's probably the most intelligent conversation you'll have today, Henry. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, but I was interested in what you guys were talking about, I'll, uh, about the third party letting other people into the process. I don't find anything wrong with it, but you just got to find out how you get through the rotations. Well, you know what they. What's interesting about that, and I remember when, um, uh, I think it was Channel Twelve, Paul, wasn't it, that had the uh, debate where they included all of the parties, and and was it a congressional race or, or a race for governor? I think it was the uh, congressional. I think so. I think that's true. Yeah. <clears throat> And, and I recall one time when they invited, even on the president, this goes back some years, on the presidential level, uh, at least every party got a chance to, to have its, its, its say, including, like I say, Libertarians, the Socialists, the Green Party, and maybe a couple of other ones as well, who, as long as they were on the ballot, they had a chance to... to, to well, we did that things. one where we, uh, for, for this show, where we got as many of the candidates as we could get uh, oh, yeah. agreed to come to Flint and do it. They were presidential candidates from the Libertarian Party, the Green Party, the Communist Party, and and what did we have, about a dozen of them? And, exactly, and yeah. We did it well, over a, at Mott Community College for uh, Constitution That was a great, a great piece of history, just to, to, just to have the parties there together. It really was. And, um, and I've tried um, several times to uh, uh, include uh, alternative parties um, and, and have uh, not just in the presidential uh, campaigns but in some of the local ones too. I remember one year I did the whole Libertarian Party slate and the whole Green Party slate um, from federal offices all the way down to dog catcher if they were running a candidate for dog catcher. <laughs> yeah. um, Green Party for a dog catcher. Yeah. We had a break. You know, it's interesting. I was going to say the, the third parties are really significant in many ways because they often raise ideas that are picked up by the major parties. They, they rarely win. They don't win many elections. Yes. Yes, but yes. a lot of their ideas yes. are picked up by either, depending on which side of the fence they're on, either the Democrats or Republicans in the years that follow, whether it's... Uh, Libertarians for during the Reagan years, or some of Ross Perot's ideas during uh, the, the Clinton years. Uh, Remember John Anderson? Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. And they actually took his ideas and co-opted them. Yeah. Well, and that's very often um, the most useful part of a, uh, or the most successful part of, of an alternative party campaign is to get some ad ideas adopted by the ones that uh, have more money and organization and support to adopt some of those ideas. Hey, we got to take a, uh, a short break here um, and let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in uh, edgewise or, or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us, we have some messages as well. And uh, then we'll return with um, 
more armchair politics on the Tom Sumner program. I am hearing a little bit of static, and it's not me, and it's not yeah, Henry. Yeah. It's got to be Wes or Paul, so maybe during the break if there's something. Anyway, Everybody we'll be back. Do it on brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative whether you attend a child's school concert or recital, go to a local symphony concert, visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the Tom Attorney General stuff? Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So, listen... We just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards, and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam? Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dina, 
Where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Armchair Politics continues on today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by Wesley Whitaker. And um, let's see, where did I uh, where did I leave off here? I guess we got through the uh, through the quotes. I did want to mention uh, a couple of updates to things we had uh, talked about in the last week or two. And one had to do with the uh, mayoral election and whether it was going to be a face-off between uh, Karen Weaver and and, uh, Sheldon Neely. And it looks like there are three candidates that made it through the uh, uh, nomination uh, process to uh, be in um, in the primary in August. It is Sheldon Neely, Karen Weaver, and Eric Mays. Hmm. Well, of course. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting that Eric is out there again. Well, yeah, of course, the top two who will get past August will be there in November. Um, so it looks, it, it looks, unless, you know, unless uh, Eric pulls an upset of, of that's some right. kind, uh, it looks like it's going to be a rematch between uh, Neely and Weaver. Again, and I would guess a pretty competitive race. I mean, I, from everything I've heard from people so far, it sounds like it's. I mean, Neely just won by a narrow margin last time, and it could be very competitive this time. The other thing that we were talking about was the impact of this weekend's GOP uh, uh, endorsement convention. Oh yeah, and yeah. I. I picked something up that I did not know and that we did not know when we talked about it because we were talking about if they if if the parties um, the Democrats have already held theirs and in most of the key offices they have incumbents so it's not as dramatic on that side but on the GOP side uh, there are some real fights going on and if the party determines who the candidate is going to be is that taking people out of the process uh, from from deciding at the the primary in august what i learned was that the gop will be picking will be endorsing candidates in every race but governor oh that's interesting yeah, I, I it took me wow. completely by surprise. Yeah, and I I remember saying I was going to wait till after this weekend to start booking Republican candidates for governor on the show between now and the primary. <coughs> and after I after I saw that, after I learned that little detail, I said to heck with it, and I I sent out emails to all the. Um, I, th- I think I was able to find so far nine out of the 12 to invite, and one has already confirmed. So, uh, you know, in the next couple of weeks, I will start mm. having the uh, GOP candidates for the nomination to run for governor 
that's coming up in the primary in August. That'll be an interesting series of interviews to get them all, at least most of them there. It will be. And if anybody's curious who the early bird is, it's Ryan Kelly. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, I am surprised that there was no endorsement for the governor's race. That's interesting. Huh. But Tudor Dixon wouldn't be too far behind, I don't think. Oh, yeah, I think I'll hear from, I, I think I'll hear from Tudor Dixon very soon. You think Greg Craig is going to respond? Now that one, that one was a little tricky. I haven't been able to um, actually invite James Craig yet um, because I I was I was using uh, online social media to send the initial contact, and his is set up with no way to send a message. Oh, I so see. I now I I've got to start looking through, you know, perhaps making a phone call and and so on. So, you know, he he just got he got set aside temporarily, completely my responsibility. But um, I have not invited James yet. I I assume that he will respond in the positive. But um, I'll I'll reach out. I'm, I'm going to be at the convention this uh, this weekend. If you want me to I will be personally. there. Contact well, just 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 mention to uh, to him that uh, I'm 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 gunning for him. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, I think the Republican Party leadership was right not to de endorse anybody because you can convert this thing into a race issue, and our adversaries can feed upon that. Well, I tell you one question I had: Are there are there any gubernatorial candidates, Republican candidates, who are not Trump supporters, in one degree or another? I mean, I, I, the oh, ones yes, I've heard suggest everything. Everything I've heard suggests they are, but, but I, that's not true. There are a lot of people. There are a lot of people that are not saying too much, uh, and probably for a good reason. But um, let the ones who feel more comfortable about. The issues that they feel strongly about say those issues, but there are some of us who have not arrived at uh, what what we believe and where we are in the process. There's just too much information out there. Yeah, I'll tell Erroneous you the, the, information. the three that I haven't been able to reach yet, or or I just haven't I haven't gone to the next step of trying to get a hold of them is uh, James Craig, um, Michael Markey. And Garrett Soldano. Hmm. Those are the three. Yep. the The other nine have all received something from me, and um, like I said, Ryan Kelly was the first one to respond back, and that one's already booked and and confirmed. And I I suspect that I'll be over the next two or three days. I'll be hearing back from all of those nine that I contacted, and I'll be figuring out how to contact the other three. But if you do run into James Craig or Garrett Saldano or Michael J. Markey Jr., um, might might let them know that I'm that I'm looking to get I'll them. I'll be in talking front with Garrett Saldano. I'll be talking with Garrett Yeah, Soldano. he's a, he's an incredible candidate. I like him. Uh, but, uh, he's got a great family that supports him. He's got a great background. He's personable and he's likable. So he will be at all of the caucuses this weekend, and we'll get a chance to say hello to him. 
I'm struck by how Perry Johnson is just bombarding the media with his ads already. There's, there's very few others out there, but he's got so many ads. On, he's trying to buy it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I assume he's got the money to pay for it, obviously. <clears throat> but just a ton of ads that he's been running. Kevin Rinke has yeah. some, has some uh, ads that have come out, and he's doing uh, billboards. Oh, yeah, but he yeah. has such an he has such a incredible background where he's used the N word often, and he's used uh, a lot of stuff that's kind of crazy. He's talked about women and stuff like that. I saw some of the verbiage in the background, but I won't I won't say it here because I, I don't. I wonder it. if he likes it's chocolate anyway. chip cookies. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Has anybody heard about this goofy suit going on up in Saginaw? No. Apparently, there was somebody working, and I, I, I want to say it was for the school district, but it might have been uh, for the county. Um, but a, a, a white staff member had a habit of saying that... Um, having someone do you a favor was like having them give you a cookie. And somewhere along the line, she ended up um, saying something about a chocolate chip cookie to an African-American co-worker who complained. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And it, it depends. Uh, you you got to be careful with those uh, cliches. Well, apparently, like because she ended up losing her job over it. Yeah. No kidding. And kidding. and she's yeah. now suing for a reverse discrimination thing. Oh. And it's it. Keep an eye out for it. It's. Um, I I probably should have gone back and put it together for the X Files because the other the other couple are from Michigan as well. Sounds like an X Files story, yeah. It yeah. it kind of is, and and See, what happened was there was some discipline taken, a suspension or something, and when she came back to work, it was all different. She was treated as a racist from the moment she walked back yeah. in the door, and she couldn't function in a job she had previously loved. And it's. Um, and this was just a comment made innocently, I, I gather. I, that's the impression yeah. I got from my reading of the story. But keep an eye on it and see. Well, yeah, I had not heard this. What story. happens yeah. or where it well, goes. Well, guys, you know the climate is right for that, and people need to be aware of that. They can't say what they want to say. Uh, I like chocolate chip cookies. Right. I like chocolate. Chip. I, I used to date a chocolate chip cookie. Oh. <laughs> uh, too soon? Too soon? Maybe. Maybe. I'm not sure. Oh, <laughs> uh, Wes. Uh, well, let's see. Um, more than six years after Genesee County 911 took over dispatching Flint police and fire calls, police chief Terrence Green says he would like to bring the program back in-house. Speaking to the city council during a budget hearing last Thursday, Green said the city has been researching making such a move, said he prefers to handle the dispatching in the city, and said the change could be made with a 3 to $4 million investment of American Rescue Plan Act funds. 
Green told council members that in addition to providing the city with more direct control of police who are on duty, he's received complaints from citizens who claim they were treated rudely or put on hold when they called 911. Having Flint police handling incoming calls would improve customer service, Green said, and end confusion for residents who think it's us when it's actually not when they call for emergency help. Do you think the benefits of, of bringing 911 back in-house justify using rescue plan funds? Mm. I'm, yeah, I'm, you know, I, I, I'm a little skeptical. I, I don't know. I mean, I yeah. don't know the mechanics of it all. But. Is this another one of those things where they're going to use the funds, make the switch, and then in 18 months or two else. and a half years the money's used up and exactly. now we've got to come up with money to run the 911 oh, yes. program when it was already you know operating i and i'm not saying that there aren't problems and and it wouldn't be nice to make a change but is it um does it really justify using one-time money for but you know i i'm, I'm going to have to go along with paul you know, I, I, I think uh, the more we divide ourselves, we're going to divide ourselves as money is drying up and population is, live, is rising and we have all of these uh, incidents uh, that is driving a disruptive process. You know, I think uh, maybe we need to think about combining our efforts into something like a metropolitan type of situation, which is going to come eventually. Yeah. The money to run all of these multiple governments are not there anymore. I mean, the is on the time. wall. Yeah. So I would say be cautious. Now, there's definitely problems with the 911 system if you've used it. I, I used it about three or four months ago. There are definitely problems with it, but I don't think bringing it in house with the Flint Police Department is the answer because there's so much interlap or crossover between police departments around Flint with the FPD. Yeah, like you have the Metro, Metro Police Department. They're all the time in the southern half of the city responding. And uh, Sheriff's Department, the State Police, um, I don't think you're going to make the argument. And in fact, within the city, it's even more complex. You've got the Flint PD, but you've also got the, the Mott cops who do a significant amount of patrolling around. I think the U of M cops do a bit of that U of M cops. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know how well those departments are connected when you call 911. What was the problem you had, Wes? Was it just, they just didn't respond or... I had a, a reaction to a medication a few months ago, and it, oh. it kind of mimicked a heart attack. And uh, it took took forever for an ambulance to get oh, to no my kidding. location. Wow. Yeah. But um, I worked. I worked. When I lived in Florida. I worked on the police pension board, and it was a small town about the size of Fenton, but. The in, the 911 program covered the entire county, and it was amazing to me when I do the ride-alongs how many times you'd interact with other police departments on, on different cases. And very rarely was it just in the town 
and you know floods a city, but it it's not really at that that size of a metropolitan uh, type of city where you would require a nine one one program just for the city. That doesn't seem like a good use of funds at all to me. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that there's a process for each respondent on the 911. They have to follow a canned process because if yeah. they advise a a person called in, in like a child or something like to do something or not to do something, that has to be formatted in a canned process so that they're not subject to lawsuits. We probably need to expand the 911 center and get more training for the the operators. That would help. True. But yeah. True. The Flint, the Flint Police Department's not large enough to even cover the city of Flint. So why in the world would you put a 911 department in there as well? They they can't fully. They don't have enough staffing to cover the whole city. Yeah, I mean, you, when you hear the numbers of police who are on patrol at any given time in Flint, it's really. Uh, it's scary. Yeah. Yeah, you're growing the process. We don't have the money to support that, guys. I, w I would rather see them take that money and train another couple 911 operators and maybe expand the capabilities of the system, give it better mapping and things like that. Yeah, probably a wider wide, wide use of the funds. And also, we need to bring the right people to the table between the county and the city. Everybody doesn't fit in that situation. You got to bring people who believe in mutual support of both organizations, who can dialogue with each other and compromise. You can't bring people there that have diverse views about the city, and those in the city that have diverse views about the county to hold hold the status quo. You got to have some creative thinkers there. And this is what happens a lot. Well, moving on, Arnold Brown, a former city employee who served in multiple positions over 25 years, is returning as the new city services manager. Mayor Sheldon Neely announced the appointment in a news release last Thursday, saying his expertise is needed to maximize greater outcomes in areas such as blight. Um, Brown previously worked for the city as a tree trimmer, waste collector, forestry foreman, waste collection foreman, and waste collection coordinator. As city services manager, his work will focus on blight elimination, forestry, parks and recreation, and transportation, the city said in announcing the appointment. Um, what kind of things do you expect to see develop under Brown's leadership? And I was... Uh, um, the the term transportation wasn't wasted on me. It was just a couple of weeks ago we were talking about whether or not the city was going to film or fill that uh, that position left vacant by uh, John. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, John Daly. John Daly. Thank you. Yeah. And it looks like it's going to be part of uh, Arnold Brown's. Job Apparently. description now, and uh, mm. not a separate position, which which brings up the thing we talked about very briefly uh, when John left for his uh, new gig in Lapeer, that um, that that job was sort of created for him when he was bounced out of the Genesee County Road Commission. Yeah, 
and it looks like with that reformatting, it may be the case that they're just kind of shuffling that back into a different department. Uh, now, with all of the uh, jobs that he's had, like where the rubber hits the road, that's for a level of people outside of the administrative role. Can he get along well with people in the administrative position Th that's who have never gone out and picked a leaf up? Well, that's a yeah. that's a question I have because he seems like the kind of guy who, you know, has spent most of his career out there doing the work, and yes. and whether or not moving him up to administration is a good fit or not is is something we'll have to see as it as it plays out. Can he work yeah. with his new peers? Will his new peers respect him? You know, and, and <laughs> well, ba based you know, on how how little they work together as it is, yeah. <laughs> that's a <laughs> true. That's that's a hard call. And and speaking of that, I wanted to bring up one thing that was on Paul's list that I I wasn't going to revisit this uh, this issue. We've been talking about it for two or three weeks, but the Flint School Board assault, and uh, it looks like um, the. Uh, defendant in that case uh danielle green um is is working on a plea deal and and paul made reference to it he always sends me uh an email the day before we we get together um did did you see something some indication of what that plea deal might be paul no i haven't no i all saw all i saw was that there was some kind of a deal in the works although what had not been finalized from the story i saw and exactly what it was or any agreement, I, I've not seen any reference to it. So <clears throat> my guess is they just want to get it behind them as much as quickly as possible and move on with something else for the school board. But in terms of what's, uh, what the deal is, I really don't know. Yeah, they got to move that as quickly as possible because it deals again with race. And it deals with those other multiple issues like TGY and all of that well, stuff like that because... I think the, the comment I made last week is that for the first time, the Flint City Council is not the most dysfunctional governing body in Genesee County, <laughs> at least for a short time. Well, they're 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 not throwing any blows, you know, at the council meetings yet. Yeah, yeah. As far as I know, nobody's punching anybody out there. <laughs> but here's the irony, guys. Look what kids are learning by watching this ping pong process in front of them. Look what they're learning. How to respect uh, uh, the laws that are there to protect us all, to keep us all safe, how to make us successful in life. This is what kids are watching. <clears throat> and you know, I, I'm, I'm afraid that when kids are watching that, maybe even when adults are watching that, it makes them much more cynical about government in general. I mean, if, if they take a look at the city council or the school board or even the, the, some of the county officials now, too, uh, it makes people very cynical about government in general. Oh, the Genesee County Convention, you should have been to that. That was true. That was a clown circus. Well, with the GOP uh, endorsement convention coming up this weekend, it reminded me of my dad talking about the uh, GOP uh, county conventions and things that, that he used to go to uh, down at the Masonic Temple back in the in the fifties, 
And he said some of those were real knockdown drag outs. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we got to take a short break, but we'll uh, we'll let our broadcast partner squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. We have some messages as well, but then we'll be back with more armchair politics on the Tom Sumner program right after this. Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wanky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Cloth or disposable? Paint or wallpaper? Yellow or green? Babies come with lots of decisions. Crib or bassinet? Rocker or glider? So when it comes to protection against diseases, go with the safest, most effective choice. Vaccination. To protect your child against 14 serious childhood diseases like measles, meningitis, and whooping cough. That's why nearly all parents choose it. Stroller or carriage? Basketball or soccer? So get all the recommended vaccinations for your baby by age two. For more reasons to vaccinate, talk to your child's doctor. Go to cdc.gov slash vaccines or call 800-CDC-INFO. Justin or Justine. Immunizations help give you the power to protect your baby. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Why are we stopping? We're going to be late for the show. Mom, Dad, we got to get gas. Not here, you're not. This place is charging an arm and a leg. Look, these days, price swings of 30 or 48 cents per gallon aren't unusual. But when a gas station charges a price way above the price at similar stations, that could be gas gouging. Michigan gas stations sell the correct quality and quantity of gas most of the time. 
But when a station does try to illegally take advantage of drivers, my office is here to stop them. Stop Attorney Generaling! We got a concert to get to! I hope she doesn't sit next to us. Narc. This is Attorney General Dana Nussel. If you have information about potential gas gouging, call my office or go online at michigan.gov slash ag. Put those away. We're at a gas station. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue our... uh, Weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program, known as Armchair Politics, with our roundtable regulars Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by Wes Whitaker. A Michigan judge tasked with overseeing Planned Parenthood of Michigan's legal challenge to the state's decades-old abortion ban previously represented the abortion rights organization and frequently donates to it. Court of Claims Chief Justice, or Chief Judge, rather, Elizabeth Gleicher, was randomly assigned to oversee the case, according to a letter distributed by a court clerk. The letter states her affiliations won't impact her capacity to be impartial. Upon receiving this assignment, Judge Gleicher asked me to notify all counsel of record that she makes yearly contributions to Planned Parenthood of Michigan, and she represented Planned Parenthood as a volunteer attorney for the ACLU in 1996 and 7, according to the letter. While Judge Gleicher does not believe this warrants her recusal and is certain that she can sit on this case with requisite impartiality and objectivity, she believes that this letter of disclosure is appropriate. Should the judge recuse herself to remove any appearance of a potential Hmm. conflict of interest? Well, particularly the fact that she played when she represented the organization. I mean, the donations... Don't strike me as that big a deal, but I think the representation is something else from from my perspective, and I can see the image at least could be could be harmful. Um. Yeah, see, the 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 point is to avoid any discretions, to avoid any appearance of, and if there are always two sides to the issue, and there are always going to be that appearance. It's going to be in question. Yeah, and my only other question is too: with the ACLU, was she just one? Was she the attorney, or was she one of a, a perhaps a panel of attorneys that might change my view a little bit on that too? But if she was the main attorney and on that case, it's I can see some issues there. So, it, uh, she might take a look at at recusal. Yes. What do, what do you think, West? Does this pass the smell test? Well, I've always thought that you are known by the company you keep. <laughs> seems remarkable to me that, <laughs> that when people come up before uh, committees seeking some sort of political appointment, suddenly their record is scrubbed, their history is scrubbed, that... Everything was taken out of context, doesn't apply. But we are at any given point in our life, the sum total of our experiences up to that point. And to try and pretend like you didn't have that affiliation or you don't have that association, you don't share that philosophy, 
to me is disingenuous, and it's probably why our political climate is as it is today. Well, in this particular in this particular case, Wes, I don't think that this judge tried to hide anything from anybody, but she's claiming that in spite of these affiliations, she can still be objective. And, and so, therefore, she doesn't think she needs to recuse herself. And what I'm asking is, well, shouldn't the appearance be just as much of a motive for recusal as whether or not you think you can be objective? But it's her critics that's going to tip this one way or the other. It's not a position of what she believes in, what she's done, what she believes in, but it's her critics. Well, and what does will, this what yeah. does this do to a potential outcome? Did she make a decision um, fa- favorable to Planned Parenthood, or would she, if she did make a decision favorable to Planned Parenthood, would it be yeah. because she had this affiliation? And it, and if it was something not favorable to Planned Parenthood, did she do it to prove how objective she is? Yeah, did she overcompensate and lean the other direction? I mean, that's a possibility, too. I, I mean, I how don't see... Argu- how would the argument change? How would the argument change if it was the uh, National Rifle Association instead of Planned Parenthood? Well, I, I would think it'd be a similar kind of thing if, if you're dealing with a you know a big exactly. gun issue. If, again, I, I would separate out. You know, people give donations to a lot of groups, but be, being kind of the lead lawyer in a, in a significant yeah. significant case does kind of raise a, a big issue for me. Yeah, the, the donations don't really bother me, but it's the affiliation. Yeah, and you're you're putting your imprimatur on something that I mean that that implies that you you know, share their philosophy and, you know, embrace their philosophy. And Yeah. And again, too, I, I, I raised the issue about with the ACLU, was she simply on the staff of the ACLU? And, and no, it says as a volunteer for the ACLU. Oh, okay. Hmm. I don't mind the ACLU so much. I mean, I think we need the ACLU yeah, to well, yeah, keep right. a balance. But her affiliation with Planned Parenthood would cause me to that particular her. case. Uh, no, my, my only question was: Was she simply on staff and didn't did was not directly involved in the case? But if she was a lead attorney on that particular kind of case, that does raise some issues for me. No, she represented Planned Parenthood yeah. as a volunteer attorney for the ACLU mm, in '96 okay. and '7. Well, that, that would that would raise some 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 flags for me. I think then. <clears throat> Well, let's let's uh, let's move off of that. Democrats are calling on their Republican colleagues to hold one of their own accountable for touching a nurse inappropriately while receiving treatment for COVID-19. State Senator John Bison, a Republican from Battle Creek, was sentenced to a year of probation after he pled guilty to a misdemeanor assault and battery charge after an August 2021 incident with a nurse practitioner. Bison was charged after a nurse practitioner filed a police report accusing him of inappropriately touching her during an August medical visit at a health care facility in Marshall while she was discussing medications with him. Uh, Minority Senate Leader uh, Senator Jim Ananick, a Democrat from Flint, pointed out Thursday that Bison has not faced any consequences in the Michigan Senate since his sentencing last month in a February statement 
Bison called the situation regrettable. He said he was distressed that he had unintentionally caused someone to feel unsafe, saying he had not behaved like normal because he was very sick at the time. As part of his sentencing, Bison was ordered to pay $1,130 in court costs and fines, complete a mental health treatment program, and have no contact with the victim. Republican Senate minor, or Majority Leader Mike Shirky said following Bison's sentencing last month that the senator took responsibility for his actions and would not face any discipline. Should Bison face additional punishment from the state Senate? And if so, shouldn't it be led by the Republicans and not the Democrats? Yeah, ideally, I think yes. it should be, if there's anything. Um, my, my concern about this is where did he touch her? Did he touch her breast or buttock? Or did he touch her hand? You know, people who are sick... They look for comfort because they fear pain and they, um, they love uh, feeling good. And sometimes that can help uh, people who are, I don't know how, I'm not making any excuse for the senator, but I do look at circumstances uh, of the situation. Well, if he you were know, I was, thinking about, I was thinking about some of the... Uh, uh, the close proximity that happens during um, any kind of yeah. medical consultation, uh, examination, and so on. I was thinking even, you know, some of the times I've been in the dentist chair and, yeah. and been in very mm -hmm. close contact with a health care provider. And, you know, do I all of a sudden, because of a, a, a glancing uh, contact um, am, am I now guilty of some criminal sexual contact um, I had that happen when I was at the dentist Tom I, I was getting a root canal and the woman touched the nerve oh no wonder and I, I, I shoved her away and then realized that I was shoving her away breast first but I didn't care. It wasn't sexual. It was get the hell off of my, my tooth. Yeah. And that's what can happen, guys. They knew that in the 16th and 17th century. They studied these behaviors. They wrote about them. They gave us the, the view of reality that we see through today. I would tell the Democrats pursuing this, I would tell the Democrats pursuing this, don't push this issue yeah. too far because then we're going to end up with the uh, turn your head and cough law. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It, I don't mind the truth. I don't mind people accepting responsibility for what they do. But things that are frivolous yeah. should remain frivolous. Wes well, is, and is again, there are criminal penalties that are there already. I mean, he's, he's already suffered a mis misdemeanor charge, right? And he's got a mm -hmm. fine and all that. So he's, he's whatever the, the facts were, he's, he's suffered to some degree already. Wes, is that law referred to um, for short as cough law? <laughs> oh. <laughs> hey, we, we, we have to break it. <laughs> yeah. 
we have to we have to break here as uh, as the first half of armchair politics comes to a close. We'll uh, we'll get into the second half of armchair politics coming up after we take a short break for uh, show ID, uh, etc. Um, so I hope you'll stay with us. We have uh, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, our roundtable regulars, joined by Wes Whitaker, and uh, part two is coming up in just a couple of moments. Hi, I'm Alexander Zanjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. Tom Sumner. 